Welcome everyone to Goddard in the World podcast. I am your co-host Amanda Laxon uh, with my co-host Casey Corona. Hey Casey. Hey Amanda. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm super excited today um, because our guest is Will Salenrad, an amazing jazz musician who is born and bred in New York City, which is a rarity, <laughs> something that we discuss uh, over the interview. Yeah, so I met Will last year. So this is coming out in 2021. I met him basically one year ago. I had interviewed him then and I was going, so I, we met downtown um, at Blue Smoke, which is sadly no longer there. Uh, it's It's this jazz club that was below... Well, no, Blue Smoke is the barbecue restaurant. <laughs> and then there's a jazz, there was a jazz club that you have to like enter the restaurant and then like go down. Um, but they closed it um, during Barbe- the pandemic. Ba- barbecue and jazz. That seems like an interesting I know. mix, right? Like, it's pretty I'm like, cool. Oh, yeah. pretty, I mean, it feels very Memphis, but it's like really like just downtown Manhattan. <laughs> <So> <laughs> um, I guess... Sorry, blues is Memphis. But anyway, um, yeah, so so we met there. He was like finishing up a gig and then uh, we we just like walked to a coffee shop that was nearby and we had a lovely chat. And it has been a long time since I've been in a coffee shop just hanging out. Um, I miss it so much. I miss it so much. I mean, the cafe. When's the last just... time that you when's the last time you went to a cafe and hung well, out? Actually, you know, not too long ago, they started to open up a few here with really limited seating. So actually, okay. um, last week was my first time back into a coffee shop in about, cool. oh, I guess a year now or close to it. Right. So we're coming wow. up on the year of sort of the shutdown. Um, and so, yeah, it was really nice to kind of go in there and do some work and work on the projects and Goddard alumni elements. So it was really, really nice. I, I don't always do well at home, you know, too many distractions and elements like that. Oh, so if I want to yeah. do some, some production, it's always nice to have that sort of clinking of the glasses or having another small conversation. When I was working at, I actually went to the coffee shop that I worked on my master's thesis at uh, for Goddard. Ooh. I spent uh, a good five months, eight hours a day working on my thesis from this uh, coffee shop. And I thought, you know, it's good to reminisce and go do the alumni work now. Very serendipity, oh, very that's meta. Cool. Yeah, and so it was nice because they were not fully open, but they were open in a way that made sense. And there was mm. other places I've had that, that they're like, oh, we are open, you know, but it didn't really feel safe. And this felt um, mm. really safe and it was, was working out right. So it was some good memories. And so I'm sure um, – yeah, as things open up, hopefully soon more people will be able to interact and feel comfortable and, and also be be safe uh, going out to coffee shops. I definitely miss the atmosphere. It's one of my favorite things to do. You know, I did it at Goddard. I'm like, wow, I'm getting my master's and I'm hanging out here in the coffee shop and writing and reading for six, eight hours. This is this is a good life. This is great. So, you know. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of like with coffee shops, especially I, I've definitely done a lot of writing in coffee shops um, because there's kind of like a shaming if you are like just at a coffee shop and like on Facebook like you know it's like it's like why are you here you can do that anywhere like you know you should you should be doing like some sort of work intellectual Um, exercise yeah right right but um 
I yeah, there's a lot of communal spaces I miss. Um, Will and uh, like during the interview, we talk about uh, jazz clubs um, because yeah. that that's like a big part of his life um, and and has been for many years. And um, when I met him, I was interviewing him, and then the following week or maybe ten days later, I was supposed to take pictures at. Oh, I can't remember the name. I, I think it's Mezzo. Um, but this jazz club in the village that in the West Village that I hadn't ever been to, but it was across from this jazz club called Smalls. It's owned by the same person. Um, it's across from that jazz club, which I went to many times. My college friends and I um, have many um well, we do have some memories and um, <laughs> some of them are a little foggy um, because it was BYOB and um, they had mixers and, you know, being Fun a college times. kid, going to a jazz club, like, and you can drink whatever you want. And, like, you just bring it. You don't have to pay for it. Like, um, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, so, some of the times are a little hazier than others. Well, but, um, yeah. Yeah, Will, Will really took us in this interview to those jazz clubs. He took us into yeah. New York, into the heart of that kind of work that he's done and sort of that space. And it was really... Um, both eye-opening, but also very comforting uh, for me to listen and to ask questions and then to hear his music in this interview that you all hear because, um, man, you really are placed into that space. And, and due to the year that we've had, I think people, if they want to get away for a few minutes and listen to some jazz and be in that space in New York and get that kind of feel, um, and it certainly made me want to go and hang out at some jazz clubs in New York City at some point. So um, that was that was wonderful. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that our audience will love to hear that as well throughout this this interview. Yeah, no, the, it was it was really great. Um, you will hear, uh, as Casey just said, you will hear a lot of his music throughout the interview. Uh, this this uh podcast format is going to be a little different than some of our others uh, because Will is an amazing artist and we're excited. This is an audio format <laughs> and he is an audio artist. And so we're very excited to be able to share his work. So without any further ado, here is Will Selenrod. Welcome everyone to Goddard in the World podcast. Our guest today is Will Selenrod. Will has earned a fast growing reputation of being at the forefront of creative musicians working in New York City. A recipient of several grants from the New York State Council on the Arts, Selenrod is a mainstay on the music scene in and around New York City, appearing at storied jazz venues such as the 55 Bar, Smalls, Mesro, The Blue Note, Birdland, The Iridium, The Former Sweet Basil, and many others. Will, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So, Will, so many of us who live here in New York City, including myself, are transplants. I didn't come here until my teens till college. Can you tell us a little bit about being a New York City native and growing up in the downtown New York arts and music scene? What's an early moment in your life that made you want to pursue a life in music? Uh, well, that's a big question. Um, yeah. Well, you know, growing up in New York, um, 
it's just a lot different than it is now, that's for sure. Um, so I think the main thing, though, uh, back in the 70s and 80s was, you know, you could probably, anybody moving to New York, you could move to New York and have a place to live without, like, spending an insane amount of money on your rent or buying a place, right? So you could, you know, like where I am from in Soho down here, like there were all these lofts and you could, you could get them for nothing, you know? I mean, they were really inexpensive. Um, so, uh, you know, my parents were able to do that. They're both painters. And um, the thing about that that made New York so great back then, I mean, it was also rough and dirty and all that, but... Um, you know, you would have all these artists and people that didn't have a lot of money or resources, but you would, they'd be surrounded by people that did have all that. So you had all this creative um, energy and all these creative people and they would actually have access to people to be able to support them. So that's kind of like the whole hip hop thing, you know, came out of New York and, you know, a lot of stuff in the 70s and 80s was really able to... Uh, it's like a powder keg because of that, you know, and that that just doesn't happen anymore. But it's, uh, you know, I mean, nowadays it'll be interesting to see where things go because it's getting a little strange out there. It's getting a little closer to what it was back then. But, um, you know, I still don't see even pandemic and everything. I, I don't see rents, you know, staying low or, you know, it sounds like they're right on their way back up. So, um it's a different world here, you know, and New York is the capital of the world. So everybody wants to be here, you know, and it will continue to be that way, I, I believe. So I, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, no, um, affordable rents in New York are very difficult to find, um, which is unfortunate because the arts are not at least when you're starting out very lucrative <laughs> so uh, for most people. And it would be nice to still like to be able to have the kind of communities that could be built uh, back then in the 80s, uh, 70s, 80s. So your your parents were both painters. Um, what what kind of musicians or who, you know, like um, what kind of music scene were they involved with or around? Uh, well, I mean, they were both painters. They still are both painters. So, um, you know, there, you know, there was always music in the house and stuff. And I was, I was, uh, exposed to a lot of things and I didn't even really realize it. Um, like one of my best friends growing up, um, his mom was Jay Clayton. She's a famous singer. And so I was around a lot of stuff, but I didn't really even know what I was around. And I always loved music. Um, and my parents, they got me painting a little bit, but I just really rejected it because I would always get taken to these art openings and it would just be all these grown-ups drinking wine. It was just the boringest thing in the world. So I kind of like the jazz world and all that, I kind of came into it late. It wasn't until, you know, actually, you know, mainly college, like going up to Goddard actually because my roommate up there was uh, Gabe Jarrett, who's uh, the son of Keith. Um so that really kind of flipped my whole thing. I, I was really into the blues before that, which is, I guess is where all jazz musicians should start anyway. But, um, 
Yeah, that really kind of changed it. So I, I came into all that stuff really late, even though I was kind of surrounded. You know, New York is, that is the top of the top. It's where everybody goes. If you want to do that at all, like, you, and you have not spent any time in New York, you're you're not really doing it right. So, um, and that is another thing where like the New York is the capital of the world. It's not just for jazz, but particularly jazz. If you want to be a jazz musician, you really do need to at least have come to New York at some point and experience what that is. Because I mean, everybody here is so good. It's, it's frightening, you know, I mean, just to, you know, the, the level is really high. So, um, let me ask you, Will, with that question, you know, I love the the wording you say about, you know, the level is very high and you're exposed to that, but you don't really fully know what you're being exposed to, um, but you're happening and it's around you. And then, you know, if you want to be in, in jazz and, and blues, like that's the place to be in, in New York. So um, when you say that kind of love in New York, oh, jazz, okay, jazz. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For for that jazz jazz level um and and a level so frightening I guess um <clears throat> when you started to to get into that world and to think about it and and sort of feel it um you know being in the city you know that is the top for that and also seeing such incredible musicians and being inspired by them simultaneously you know is was the was there um. Was there sort of like an inspiration into that? Was that inspiring for you to to dive into that kind of sound, or was it also like so overwhelming because you're in the presence of so many great artists? And like, how do you encompass or involve yourself in that um, to both inspire you musically, and does it also hinder or stop, or you know, is it doing things simultaneously? Because I imagine it must both maybe feel overwhelming and also be super, um, you know. Uh, you know, give you great passion about that. So I'm just kind of curious about maybe for people who aren't in that in New York or whatever, um, and haven't experienced that, but but a background is in jazz or they love jazz. Um, for you personally, what was it like to be around so many incredible musicians? And then how did that make you feel in terms of in terms of producing kind of the music that you that you started to produce? Uh well it's more overwhelming now than it was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I just didn't even know. So it wasn't overwhelming at all. It was just like, wow, this is great. So, um, you know, uh, and when I was in high school, um, one of my friends, one of a good friend of mine, um, his parents owned a club in the West Village. Um, and so I was always around it then too. And I didn't even real, I didn't even know. So then I went to Goddard and then when I came back and I was at the new school, I ended up working there for a while, did the sound. So I was around a lot of, you know, famous and very, um, a lot of musicians that will go down in the pantheon of time that, you know, they're kind of like the inventors of the music, like Billy Higgins or Cedar Walton. I got to hang out with them a lot and Tommy Flanagan. So anyway, long story short, um, you know, the more you learn about these things, then you're like, oh, wow, that, that it becomes overwhelming, you know, because the, the music is so vast. There's so much to it. Um, and it's bigger than any one club or person or, you know, any of that. So, um, you know, and then, yeah, we all like are kind of products of our environment. And then we're also products of our experiences. So, you know, as far as my stuff, it's just, uh, you know, it's just me, right? So it's everything I've absorbed and, you know, trying to do the best with what I have, you know? So, 
I don't know if that answers the question. But. Well, um, you you mentioned Goddard a couple of times, and and I know that Goddard is sort of where you started getting into jazz. So who who or what was it that brought you to Goddard from New York City? I mean, that <laughs> it doesn't seem like a natural tra- trajectory necessarily. It, well, yeah, I mean, New York is, is uh, it is what you make it, right? It can be amazing and it can be terrible, you know, I mean, so like, it's just really what you make of it and your experiences with who you meet. And I mean, it could be the worst place in the world. So you know, when I was um, finished with high school, I took a year off and then I actually applied at the new school um, and then, but I didn't like, I didn't even go to my audition. I think I blew it off. So um, I, it was kind of fate. It was really weird. So, but I felt like I really needed to get out of New York. Um, I was working, doing like in some construction stuff and I was like, oh, this is just not cool. So, um so I ended up going to Vermont and it was just a nice change of pace and I was able to just kind of, you know, get on my feet a little bit. Um, and, you know, Goddard is so open, you can do anything there, right? I mean, you can really study anything. So I was there for, you know, about a month and I was like, oh, this is great. I can do anything, you know, and then I was like, oh my God, but I'm spending all this money and I, what am I doing, you know? Um, so I, you know, I was really... I playing a lot of music and playing a lot of guitar and um but you know uh when i met gabe um you know also when i was there it was on campus right so i don't think that even exists anymore and um so i think there were like a hundred kids of us that were actually on campus it was nice to have your own room and you know it's pretty wild so i my first i think just the first semester i was on campus so um but i met gabe and um, he was really cool and, you know, he's an amazing musician. I was like, oh, my God, this guy's he's incredible. Um, and I had no idea who his dad was or any, any of that. And not that that even matters, but he had an amazing record collection um, and he was really fun to play music with. So um, we ended up um, renting a house and we became roommates up there for, I think, my second year up there. And, um, uh, yeah, he was very influential in in my whole thing and then you know going back down to New York I still had connections um, at the club I was I you know had friends who my parent friends parents owned and some of my other friends were working there um, so then when I left Goddard and I came down to the new school um, I was I started working there a little bit as well as just kind of like a little side job I was doing the sound there and um, you know that was kind of the just the transgression of the whole thing so but I mean it was a lot different time back then too that was like 1990 I think I went to Goddard um, and I was there for two years and then I graduated uh, three years at the new school so um, I think I lost a year in the translation because of just how Goddard's credits work they're not exactly uh, you know you know you know so Anyway, but that was kind of the timeline of the whole thing. And then also in New York in the 90s was, you know, pretty incredible for the music, the jazz quote unquote scene. Just with the whole, there was the whole thing with CDs coming in, right? And so then all the record companies were re-releasing everything on CDs. So there was a whole boon um, in music sales. 
and then that in turn like um started the whole young lion thing you know um and there was a movie that came out i think mo better blues i think that spike lee movie and um there were some great musicians in there i think uh man i haven't even thought about that in a really long time but i think jeff watts was in that movie drummer i think i think my memory serves correctly um it's a little foggy but um anyway so that was kind of like and you know it was totally corny but it's like wow you know that is something you could do it's amazing like nowadays it's not really uh there's no romanticism about it. Like, you know, I want to do that. Oh yeah. That sounds like a great idea. I'm going to go do that for the rest of my life. So, um, it was definitely more of a thing back then, you know, it was totally pre-internet. So, you know, it was a lot different. That's, um, that's wonderful. Uh, Will, you know, I think a lot of people <clears throat> discover Goddard in different ways. And yet we have this sort of, um, almost this, fatal um, sort of element to it that seems to bring us there around there. And so your story about being able to, you know, you, <laughs> you, you, you applied to new school and then you blew off your audition <laughs> and then you're like, I got to get out of uh, New York for a little bit. And, and you went up to Vermont. Um, it really um, is sort of, I think where people find themselves getting to Goddard. It's not um, really that they even find Goddard always. It's more that Goddard finds them and they sort of figure out how am I at this place? Um, so I, I love to hear a little bit more. Um, did you, before we move on to post post Goddard and talking about New York, which I can't wait to hear more about the nineties and, and sort of what you began to do uh, during that time period. But um, while on campus, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, in some ways you're like, wait, you know, is Goddard this really musical place in the middle of central Vermont? How did this happen? How were in the 60s and 70s, all these amazing bands coming through and stopping at this little podunk college <laughs> in this little town, playing field of nothing. But um, did you ever play while you were um, at, at Goddard on anything, Will? Did you, you said you were doing some work and some guitar and stuff. And obviously it was on campus, which is um, towards towards the end of that kind of realm, I think there was another ten years of on campus or a little bit more than that. But um, uh, we, uh, Amanda and I are low residency, obviously from that uh, later period. So, um, did you can you tell me a little bit about the music when you were there and that scene and that inspiration of that that kind of work? Oh yeah, totally. So um, when I got there, like I so I was really loving. I was studying music in New York, so it wasn't like I was just like you know just picked it up or something. I mean, I, I've been playing for a while and um, just the jazz thing was a little new. So, but, um, but I was taking lessons down there and I had a pretty good teacher. And, but when I came up to Vermont, there actually was a music teacher that started when I started. So like I got there with Gabe and there were some other people, John Sears who's a bass player. And um, there was another guitar player, John, who was also there. And, um, you know, uh, the teacher was Don Glasgow um, and so there was like a whole little band community that just kind of started at the same time and um, yeah we would all just talk about music all the time and you know and then you know we got to a point there you know um, that we we uh, just realized we, we couldn't really like if you really wanted to do it you kind of can't, this isn't really, you know, this is nice, it's cute, but it's not really going to take us where we need it to go. So, 
you know, it was like a thing where Goddard really gave, at least me personally, just gave me like the, gave me like the thought and the drive of what, you know, needed to be done to try and actually do it, you know. Um, so, but it was a very magical time and they had a nice music building, you know, with pianos and stuff and, you know, I mean, it, it was cool. It's really great. I didn't have to worry about neighbors and practicing and any of that, um, you know. Uh, and, you know, Vermont's a very musical state. There, There is a lot up there. It's actually shocking how how um, much they love music up there. Um, just so, you know, I still go back and, you know, sometimes I, it's been a couple of years, but, you know, we played at the Discover Festival. I've done that. I think I did that when I was just out of Goddard. I came back and um, I think I opened up for like Reggie Workman or something. That that was pretty fun um, and brought some guys from New York. And uh, but I've done that a number of time over the, times over the years. Um, and yeah, you know, Vermont, Vermont's a great place. There's no doubt. What was it that made you want to... I don't know if you would say switch to jazz from blues. I mean, there's probably like a spectrum, right? <laughs> like, but... Um, well, I hate even saying any of those words because music is just music. I mean, right. they're good and bad and, you know, people like putting it in boxes. But I mean, you know, if you think about it as like scenes, you know, there isn't really... I mean, in the 90s, I guess there was a couple of blues clubs. Um, there's a place on 14th Street and... You know, there's a couple places on Bleecker Street. There, so there were a couple blues clubs, but New York was never like a blues town. I mean, Chicago is a blues town. You know, you have a lot of blues down south. And I mean, if you're talking about just the blues, right, Texas, of course, you think of, but you don't think of New York, you know. But in the jazz world, quote unquote jazz, I mean, that means a lot of different things to different people, too. Um, but I mean, you know, New York is... I mean, not to say there aren't jazz towns, because of course, everybody, or not everybody, but most people don't come from New York. Most people, like there are tons of musicians from Detroit, uh, you know, I could go on and on about the Detroit. I, actually, in Detroit is the first time I really heard guys playing. Like my cousin, I was, I think I was like 12 or 13, and my cousin took me to some place in downtown Detroit. Um, and it was just like a loft, and I have a very foggy memory of that too, but there were just some people making sandwiches and there were guys playing. And I think it was Marcus Belgrave who's playing there. I think, I, it's just a guess, cause I had no idea I was like so young. Um, and, uh, but that it was magic to me. I was like, man, this is amazing. You know, cause it was a big community and you know, everybody was just there for the music. It wasn't like, it wasn't a, you know, $50 cover and you know, you know, have a martini or, you know, it wasn't anything like that. It was just, you know, about the music. So, um, but New York is all the people from everywhere, be it Detroit or, you know, um, Philadelphia or wherever, they all come to New York. <laughs> I mean, that's where it, it all kind of goes down, you know, um, as far as the, the quote unquote jazz world, you know, the, the community there is, you know, and it's a small community too, but there's definitely... I like thinking of it more of like that, like a scene or a community as as opposed to like a style of music. But I mean, there is a jazz community in New York for sure, you know, and, you know, it's, it's the top of the top. Uh, it's always been that way, you know. 
What was your first experience um, playing at one of the one of the big, great, or not big, <laughs> small, maybe, but like um, one of the like sort of fabled jazz clubs in New York? Oh, God. well, there's a few, but um, man, I, the the biggest one I had my it was just a senior recital that I had from when I was at the new school, but we did it at this club called the uh, called Bradley's and. Bradley's was like anybody who's been in New York and knows about Bradley's knows what I'm talking about as far as the the scene and the music community and like, you know, Bradley's was like, it was amazing. I mean, they'd have a two o'clock set every night, you know, and you could hear the best people to ever do it playing. And not only that, but the whole place was always filled with, with all those musicians. Like, so, you know, that was terrifying to me when I did that. I stepped in there. I was like, I could not believe I was playing in there. And I was like, wow, man, like, this is frightening. You know, you better, you better, <laughs> you better be able to play. So, yeah, that, that to me, I'll, I'll never forget that one. And it was just a senior recital. It's not like it was, it was stupid, but, you know, it was still like, it was still there and it was packed. Everybody, you know, lots of people were in there and, and you know, it was that, that, so that was pretty, that, that one will, go down with me forever. Where, where was Bradley's West village or? Uh, yeah, it was on university between 10th and 11th. It's now okay. like a sports bar called the reservoir, um, which is, it's actually not any different than it used to be either. They just changed the piano to a pool table and put up some TVs, but the room is basically the same and it's really depressing. I went in there like a few number of years ago just to like, I was like, I got to just come in here and have a beer and, yeah, I didn't last in there very long. It was really sad. So that place in the in the history of New York in in the eighties and nineties will go down forever as like the the best place because it was where all the musicians would hang out. I mean, you know, you. I mean, I I remember sitting in like right by the piano and Ben uh, Kenny Barron was playing in there. It was like three in the morning, and I was trying, like I was just trying to stay awake because it was so good. And, you know, I mean, that, that was, you know, yeah, that was amazing. I, I wish there was more of that happening in New York, you know. So, so Will, you know, you described sort of um, growing up in this, but you didn't really um, fully know what you didn't know, right? You were just immersing yourself just naturally in it. And then you go to Goddard and you get introduced into this jazz kind of world. And then you go off to the new school. And I'm assuming you sort of, refined and built more of that kind of um, skills and, and learning and growth. Um, and then you talk about the 90s as this place where people were able to sort of um, go and just do that, you know, pre pre sort of online and pre pre YouTube and internet and all that and social media. Um, and so you talk about Goddard as a catalyst a bit for you to have that freedom to kind of do that. So can you just give me a little uh, taste of what that was like, you know, uh, going back to the new school and, and how you continue to build your skills and, and growth and, and learning and all that. And then what that was like to take that out into New York and have that kind of maybe liberation or freedom. And, and did you just, it sounds like you were just trying to just immerse yourself with more, um, more understanding, but then you just kind of went into and started playing and listening all the time in New York is what, what it sounds like. What was that like in 93? Three ninety four ninety five and and kind of going into that world and living that at the top of the tops as you say. 
Well, I mean, you know, Goddard was, it was nice because it was very small and insulated and, um, you know, it gave us a chance to kind of work some things out that like you wouldn't be able to do in New York. You just like, they'd be like, get the hell out of here. You suck, you know? So when I got to the new school, I was not ready to do that at all. I got my ass kicked so hard. I mean, that was really eye opening. And, but even there, like, you know, the new school is also like, it was just a little bit, it was also insulated in its own little community and everybody who was in that world kind of felt like if they were the top of that, they were totally, you know, the shit, like they were great. Right. But as soon as you went out of the school and you went out down the block, you know, you realize, yeah, not really, man. Like, you know, you still have some things you need to, you know, take care of because so-and-so over there is like, you know, that's, that's who's really taking care of business. So anyway, that being said, a lot of the people that I was in school with are now, you know, famous and doing amazing things. I mean, it's, it's pretty, that it's pretty remarkable. In fact, like the musicians that I was there with, because, you know, the new schools also, that was when I was there, it was the last of the, they switched buildings. And when I was there, it was part of Parsons. And it was also only like about a hundred kids, uh, I think that were in school there. And we had access to the, you know, the best musicians, period you know i mean it was pretty incredible the, the musicians that were teaching there at that time um so but uh in the 90s in new york too it wasn't really that was when it was just starting to turn like it was getting you know all rents were definitely on their way up um so but i lost your question in there somewhere <laughs> well, uh, as you come out of the new school and you kind of go down the street, you talk about, you know, uh, experiencing those different worlds that were existing. I was just trying to say, you know, and ask about, okay, so now you're graduating from there and sort of your immersiveness into that world, both as a as a musician and as as a, as maybe a, uh, you know, just a listener as well and, and just learner um, of that because it sounds as though you were able to basically live in that world. And so I was just, I was asking you basically to take us through what that was like at that time period for you to walk through that. Um, and and what, what you were experiencing, you know, post, like, did you begin to just start having gigs? Like, did you start to like sort of make more connections? Was it more underground? Was it more with the connections at the new school? Um, what did that really look like? And as, as, as New York was becoming more pricey, um, how did that affect, you know, all of those kind of elements as well? well? Like, you know, the early 90s and the 90s, pre, pre-internet, pre all that stuff, or the internet was just starting to have your little dial-up modem and stuff, and, you know, people still had pagers and stuff. So, you know, it was definitely different um, just in how you would go through life. But, I, you know, I was very lucky getting out of the new school. Um, I got a, a job playing... Um, at a club called Visiones, which is just down the block from the Blue Note. I think it's called Groove now. But um, I was doing like a little happy hour gig there. And um, so I was doing that like four four nights a week, something like that. And um, it was, I mean, I wasn't making a ton of money doing that. But, you know, that was a real ass kicking to be able to play it just like before the, you know, for you know, just happy hour bar scene, but at, at one of the major clubs in town. And, um, you know, I, that, I got to I could call anybody 
do that gig. It was it was great, and um, I did. I just got the best guys I could possibly find, and um, I just learned a lot. That was a really like a super learning. That was like almost graduate school there. Getting when I graduated, and it just gave me a chance. Like if I didn't get that, I don't know. You know. Well, would I have stayed in New York? Would I have kept trying to just slug it out? Like, I, I don't even know, you know, but I was very lucky in having that opportunity where I could actually, like, start absorbing some stuff that I learned in, in school and trying to get it out, you know. Um, but, you know, I mean, music is so infinite. I mean, I'm, I still get my ass kicked every day. I mean, it's there's just so much to learn. It's so vast. I mean, you know, it's impossible to get everything done I want to get done every day you know as far as just practicing so you know there's so much to do you know um, but it was like Goddard really kind of gave me um, you know like a, a nice transition to actually you know because I almost went to the new school before even Goddard so and if I would have done that it would have been a, I, who knows it, I, Goddard was like a really nice um, prep for that and buffer and I think if I was just thrown into that I, I don't know I don't know maybe it would have been better I but I you know it you know it was nice to be able to like you know um, take a two years and, and just get my head together you know I mean that's important doing anything you need to do like you know you gotta have a mental uh, clarity for what you're trying to accomplish how did Goddard help you get your head together, so to speak? Um, it was it was it the the space, the people, um, had, you know, just just being outside of New York City. Uh, you know how how did that help? Well, yeah, I mean, it was being out of New York, number one. I mean, um, and being in such a rural environment, you know, was very different and very liberating but it was also you know the the kids on campus there were great you know i mean both schools and new school too like all of my peers i mean they do amazing things it's it's amazing to watch them do stuff and and you know become you know how great they are and all that so you know and goddard is the same same thing you know um just you know i think most colleges like you're surrounded by your peers you almost learn more from right i mean you know you're doing the work and things people are telling you to do but you know it's really the people you meet and that you surround yourself with that kind of make you who you are you know so and goddard was magical for me for that i met my wife there i mean you know it's, it's great and it really like you know being in a rural environment you do have time to um think about where where you want to be going, you know. That's fascinating. You talk about being in a rural environment and having time to think on that regard. You know, it's it's amazing how environmental, you know, can kind of affect affect you in different ways. Um, Amanda, oh. I've been asking her a lot about New York and that experience she has living in there. And, I, you know, it's so foreign to me on the West Coast, so much more laid back. Um, so to think about the pace of New York and how that's always happening and so much going on, I'm sure that was a juxtaposition probably for you being in Vermont, but it sounds like something that you needed for sure at that time period and, and help transition you back into the city. So thanks. Thanks for sharing, Will. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it was also, I couldn't be up there for too long. If I went like, maybe three weeks without going back to New York, I would start going a little crazy. 
<laughs> you know, just because you have a thing where in New York, you're just kind of like, you need space, you need to get away from people, like, that's your, because you're just like, oh, God, like, leave me alone. You know, but you go up to Vermont, and then you, like, you really want to be around people, you're just, you know, all of a sudden, it's totally different, so... um I was watching a movie last night um, where they did an amazing, uh, most of it takes place in Arkansas. I, I guess all of it, like Arkansas, Oklahoma. And they did an amazing job on the like sound bed of how loud, um, I don't know what kind of bugs they are because I've been in New York too long, but like um, how loud like the cicadas are or whatever, you know, like, and that is something I feel that, I had a hard time sleeping when I would go up to Vermont because I was like, it's too loud. <laughs> but it's it was like the loudness of that silence. And when I come back to New York, there's, I don't know, my, I guess my ears are just attuned to it and I don't hear the background noise of the subway or whatever people. And, you, know, you can feel it coming through the walls, you know. I mean, when you're in the country, yeah, the silence is deafening. It's... Yeah. yeah. Like I don't yeah. have nitis or anything like that, but when I'm in that kind of a quiet thing, I definitely like my head's ringing, you know. Me too. <laughs> I would I would put on movies on my laptop like just to sort of get a little bit of urban noise into my life so will speaking as a musician you know when we we're talking about that sort of you know silence is deafening and that kind of you know difference of what's loud and different um is, is there a space for you i know this is kind of just jumping ahead but some of your work that you've done um is it you know because i love to write and i love education and sometimes i find inspiration in very remote kind of places out in the by the ocean on the pacific coast or up at mount rainier or whatever to to do some poetry or writing or whatever but um do you do you find spaces and environments and and does it help you to be in and amongst um you know jazz musicians does it help you to be out by yourself on your own what what does a creative space look like for you is it in a studio for you is it in your own home you know what what does that look like for you will that where you can kind of build off of silence or you know loudness or whatever in between i mean i love the west coast too i mean but um at this point in my life like i really need to just work and like practice so um it's not necessarily going to a place is going to inspire me to do like i just i know like i i just need to work on my craft as much as I can so um but that being said like yeah you know of course like if, if you go somewhere amazing you're gonna be inspired by like go to Italy you know go oh my god that's incredible like you know so you're inspired to do new things but you know I I'm very happy I'm very lucky to have a studio in my house and I'm very much a homebody so you know, maybe a little too much now with this whole pandemic situation. Um, be nice to get out of the house. And, uh, but, you know, I'm very fortunate and lucky to be able to do that here. And, you know, it's just having enough time to, to work on things, you know. Can you talk to us a bit about, about the pandemic, but like how it's specifically affected uh, jazz and the jazz community in New York um, because I, when I met you I was about to come and take pictures at your Mesro show 
And it was like the weekend like that everything shut down. And no, but yeah, we met and uh, I think that was the last time uh, that was the last gig I did. I was playing at the Jazz Standard. We did this thing for the kids and um, I was just a side man. But um, there was a really nice band and, uh, you know, it's nice, always nice to play the Jazz Standard. Just one of the great clubs. But yeah, so that place is gone. They closed. That's, you know, Mesro was like that was their last thing and it was funny i was um emailing with the owner about that date that didn't happen it was the that was the last day before they closed everything and we almost still did it but my band had just gotten back from europe bass players in quarantine the drummer would have done it anyway <laughs> he's barely escaped italy like you know i mean uh, bass player was in France and like so and my kid was sick so I was like man look we should just and so I still we still almost did it but we and, and it was a Sunday night so I mean it would have been empty in there anyway even though like I, I was on the cover of Hot House which is like a very prestigious New York jazz magazine it's like not even it's not like the cover of the New York Times but for musicians like that's like even better <laughs> so I was so happy about that and then the gig didn't even happen it was just terrible so you know yeah it's been uh it's been tough um all around i mean you know um i'm lucky i'm able to practice and stuff but yeah i really miss playing it sucks and the jazz standard you know that was a great club but it was also like the thing i'm curious about is going forward is, you know that club was owned by danny meyer and this you know restaurant conglomerate corporate thing you know and um hopefully they'll reopen that in some fashion but somewhere um but that was a big club too but uh anyway i hope that maybe rents retail rents anyway my restaurants and stuff you know maybe you know if there's some musicians that are doing really well they'll have an opportunity to open up a club as opposed to like you know, a corporate restaurant conglomerate, you know, or like you have the Roxy Hotel, they're doing music now. But that's like a huge, you know, huge business. I mean, that's not like your normal person trying to start a small business and open up a little music room somewhere or, you know, big music, you know, whatever the size is relevant. But, um, you know, that's not like a place like Smalls that's opened, you know, by it that's own run by musicians, you know, um, I don't know if that helps, but yeah, the music scene, there's nothing happening. You know, yeah. like, you know, they're like musicians coming to New York now there. I mean, I'd give it another year. Maybe I, I don't know. I don't know how, when it's going to, you know, cause we need the tourists here. You know, you need people coming to see the music. You can't have empty clubs all the time, you know? So, and now they're like smalls is still running. That's one place. I think they have, they just went to like 20% capacity or something. So they have like, you know, 15 people in there. Um, so they're having music every night, but still, and the, some places are doing some streaming. Um, a really good friend of mine owns a place in Brooklyn. So he opened a bar a couple of years ago, uh, called bar by you, um, in Brooklyn. And, uh, it's a really great place. And they started doing more and more music in there. And, um, they have a wonderful jazz series now they're doing some live streaming but and i think they're open actually now maybe i don't know but anyway there's still there's nothing happening and there's no tours there's no i mean you know jazz clubs you know you have tons of tourists i mean that's what makes them run you know it's it 
you know, it's that and the musicians, but I mean, you know, we need people to support the music. So, you know, it's essential. So New York, you know, New York's not going to, it's not going to die, but it's, it, uh, you know, we just need to be able to move around freely again, you know? Yeah. Very much on pause here. I was, um, I was talking to a friend the other day and she said that she and a friend had gone to, I, I don't remember the name of the room, but they had gone to hear music somewhere in the Lower East Side. I'm like, it was open. <laughs> like, I mean, like that's shocking to me. Like, I, I guess they were at like 25% or whatever, but, um, but I, I used to go to smalls when I was in college and, um, when they had like BYOB and, um, and I spent many nights there and uh, overindulged a little bit, but like, <laughs> cause it's they opened actually when I graduated from the new school that was the 1995 I think that's the year they opened and um now actually one of my classmates I think I graduated was in my class I think maybe we were a year apart or something but um the the gentleman Spike Wilner who runs that place and Mesro too um you know we were his another new school kid doing great things you know um and he's a great piano player as well so I mean that's why there should be more and should be, I say, but it'd be, I shouldn't even say that. It, it'd be amazing if there were more opportunity for just people that are, you know, really good at what they do to start small businesses. Like, you know, especially like a music room. If you have musicians that will take care of the music and present it well, they, they know the best, you know. Um, it shouldn't have to be a, a corporate conglomerate, you know, that opens up a chain and says, oh, yeah this would be so nice. We have a little stage here. Okay. Let's, let's throw some music in here, you know? Well, um, so I'd love to just hear a little bit about your music itself. And if we could just talk a little bit and transition to that, because I think we're going to be playing a little bit of your music here in a bit. So Will, can you tell us a little bit about um, your unique sound and what innovations and um, sort of evolutions you've brought to uh, your your music and scene and your process and that kind of thing. What what have you been uh, really exploring? Both, you know, where did that sort of continue to to grow from? I would say definitely post college and into the millennium. And then where where do you see yourself um, now? And and where do you hope to go with your music? So just just some like maybe um, macro level sort of thoughts about um, your musicianship and and sort of the 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 the, the amazing um, the amazing talent you bring to to your listeners and and yeah, we'd love to hear a little bit about about your music. Oh, well, that's really nice. Um, I mean, I just try and practice. I mean, it's really, um, any art is not really like, I, I have no business calling what I do art. I mean, that's for somebody else to say, all I can do is work on my craft and try and get it better. You know, I mean, and there's so much to do, like what I was saying. So, um, over the past few years, um, I've been building the studio in my house, so we've been recording here. And um, so this last record was called Green Street Volume 1, which we put out in 2019, I think. And um, so uh, that was just basically uh, a real experiment because it was like, can we do this? And so we spent like, you know, a couple years playing and like tuning the room and just trying to get it good. 
And then we finally got enough stuff. We we're like, okay, we can maybe put this out. Um, but now it's kind of like, it actually is, uh, it's working really good. And, um, but I haven't had anybody over because of the whole, you know, current situation. So um, as soon as uh, we're free and able to do that, we'll be making some more records and, you know, we'll have the technical glitches out of the way so we can just, you know, deal with the music a little more. Um, but it's a great way to record too, to have a place, you know, where you can just go and turn the mics on and um, you don't have another engineer. It's just you and your guys playing. Um, you know, like I've been doing a lot of solo guitar videos just because that's all I can really do. So I, I've never been a huge solo guitar person, but um, there's a whole art to, I mean, my God, there's so much, you know, but you know, solo jazz guitar gets a really bad rap. Like nobody ever wants to hear that. You hear that, you're just like, oh God, like turn that off. <laughs> so, you know, to make that sound interesting and, you know, to, you know, there's also been, you know, amazing people, guitar players have, that have done it so well. You know, that's one of those things that I'm um, so overwhelmed by. I'm just like, oh man, wow. You know, but so how can you do that and do it better or not better, but how can you do that your way and make it interesting, you know? Um, but so having the studio here is great. We look forward to, you know, the future and I can't wait to the back end of everything. That's why I want to be around. So Amanda, you were saying like going to see music, like, so, you know, I'm just hanging low. I'm really looking forward to, um, the backside of all, all this stuff, you know? Um, and uh, I've also been lucky, like um, this record company, Deco Entertainment or Deco Music, um, they picked up my back catalog. So that's why I think the track um, I sent you, Amanda, um, there was a place in the East Village we used to play at a long time. Maybe you went there, I don't know. Um, but it was called Detour. It was on 13th Street. Um, and so we played there a lot. And uh, this organ band I was playing with a lot, it was Brian Charette and Darren Beckett who both are incredible. Brian um, is a great organist and uh, he's in New York and doing lots of great things. And Darren, he's a bit of a rock star. He moved to um, to England, um, but he played with like Brandon Flowers and, and his solo stuff and he's done all kinds of things. So anyway, they're gonna release that record, I think the end of February this month, um, right around my birthday, which is cool. And. Um, so, but you know, it's amazing. We recorded that in like 2002 or something. So that's old. When you hear old records like that, like I sent Amanda a track and um, I was like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's old, you know, but that record was really cool too. It, you know, we recorded it live to half inch tape. So it was mixed and recorded all in one fail swoop. So it's just what you, what you hear is what you get. You know, but that was also pre-iPhone, pre-internet, and so we don't really have any videos of us doing the thing because no one had phones in their pocket, you know. Um, so I wish it was more documented that way, but, you know, whatever. It is what it is. And they're also, I think Deco is going to re-release um, a record I did uh, called Balance, um, which we did uh, right before my son was born, um, and I think in like 2006. Um, or no, 2007, I think it was. So, anyway, um, but that was um, a totally different style of record too. But so that that they're going to be putting that out in April. But that's out now. Still, you can still get it. Um, but the Star Hustler record, the Oregon one, that that has never been streaming or anything. So that that's going to be we'll be able to get it on Spotify and all that stuff.
That's so exciting. So, so what you sent us, uh, sent me mm-hmm. is from Star Hustler. It is the title track of Star Hustler and you recorded it in Oregon. Is that what you were saying? Oh, no, we recorded that in the East Village. So, oh, that, in the East Village. Okay. There was a studio called Dangerous Music and, um, they're actually in the pro audio world. They're, they're really famous. They make a lot of gear and, um, they had a really nice studio there and, um, it's funny. There, there's a company called Universal Audio, and and they were they make all these plugins, which was like digital creations of um, like vintage gear. And so they had this tape machine, and they were doing like a, a kind of like what we're doing. And they were talking about it, and they a beat it against the real machine, and the real machine was what we recorded that record on. Um, so that, that, I thought that was kind of cute. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's how they used to make records is you do it to a tape machine. Just do it, you know, go and hit the record, hit the tape, roll tape and, you know, see what you get. So, you know, I mean, it's a it's a wonderful way to do it. It's definitely old school. So That's awesome. So you were like live playing in the room and they just recorded it. Take. That's it. <laughs> Did you guys finance that yourself? Uh, that one. The recording. Uh, yeah, at yeah, the time, it was all self-produced. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then balance though too was the same thing, but it was digital. But that was at a place called Systems Two, which is also a great studio. Um, that's also not there anymore, unfortunately. But, um, but uh, yeah, th- so that one we just played in the room, and that one was just one day, and and oh God, we did like a bunch of tunes, but everything was just first or second take. If it was the second take, the first take was like rehearsal, and then that was it. So, you know, but. That one coming out in April, I think we have some unreleased tracks um, from that date too that are coming out. So it's kind of like a little way to I just like stay out there while you're not out there, I guess, you know. That's awesome that you can have these releases. I was curious about like how like how you would record, especially with um with I mean with jazz but like with other you know like I I know that people record separately for for a good reason for mixing and all of that Mm -hmm. um but it also feels in your music in your particular music that there's this improvisational quality that would require people being in the room together uh Oh, yeah. Well, all right. So the Star Hustler, yeah, we're just in the room, no headphones or anything, because it's just organ, guitar and drums. So, I mean, it's all amplified and everything. So balance that one, you know, it's guitar, saxophone, drums and bass. So the bass player was in a booth and then the rest of us were um, in the room. Um, And it's better for us to play. And even like Green Street. So we just have one room here and it's just the three of us in the room. And yeah, there's no like separation or anything. We're just playing, you know, um, a lot of people like it, like to edit more and separate themselves. And, you know, that's great too. But, uh, you know, I mean, for this, it's more just like capturing the moment and what's happening there. You know, it's a lot of, it's, it's very easy to make it a lot more complicated than it actually should be. Right. Let's take a listen to Star Hustler, the title track from Star Hustler, Will Selenrod's new old record that has been released by Deco anywhere you can buy or stream music.
that <laughs> I know it's weird to hear old stuff <laughs> oh it's so old that thing is so old what, wait it, what, what year did you say 2003 2002 I think 2002 okay uh, I can 
find out. I loved it. It was wonderful. I mean, so um, yeah, that improv, improv um, quality to that. And um, just, you know, I love how you could just hear the different instruments pop up here and there and then and the uh, the rhythmic uh, motion of them. It just beautiful. I just saw myself sitting in a, a little cafe listening to you all uh, there. Well, it was it was wonderful. So uh, yeah. definitely, definitely wonderful music. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, that was 2002. So Jesus, 19 years ago. Oh, my God. Wow, that's amazing. That's so great. So Star Hustler is going to be available through um, your website, uh, willsolenrad.com or? It'll be, I mean, that's the thing. Echo has like, they have great distribution. I think it's through Warner Brothers. So yeah, I mean, it'll be on all the streaming platforms and, you know, yeah, you can get it anywhere. You know, just ask for it, I guess, in your local record shop if you, you know, if you do that. So, but yeah, it'll be on Amazon and stuff. And this one, the la- the latest one, we did vinyl, but I, this is just CDs, and so they just picked up the old stuff. So that's great. Um, and and yeah, you you had donated one of the vinyls uh, of Green Street to our silent auction last year, so that was awesome. And somebody picked that up, and it's beautiful too. <laughs> it's like the mint mint chip vinyl <laughs> what made you choose that they did a they did a good job with that yeah um i well you know it's just green street volume one so i figured it should be green and we were making them so it just uh yeah that's what we went with so we'll see what volume two decides to be you know that's great well thank you so much for uh enduring with tech issues and being with us here today uh it was it was really great talking to you and um i'm excited for uh your back catalog to get released that's that's a great thing to to have happen during the pandemic <laughs> um and well cool. i mean we really look forward to putting out some new stuff though so um and as soon as we're able to do that the, the floodgates as soon as they open up they we're going to be doing a lot so you know it's it's amazing it's a an amazing gift to be able to do it in your house so I plan on making, taking full advantage of that. And, um, you know, we're, we're all just waiting for the chance to do it. So where, where can people find you best? Will? what's your, your, your website? Uh, it's just my name. So it's just willsellenrod.com. Um, and, uh, as long as you spell my last name, um, yeah, that's it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, all, all the music is up and should be st- like the old stuff will come online streaming soon enough. But Green Street Volume 1 is all available. Um, I've also been doing like my little solo guitar project is all that stuff's on YouTube. So you can find me on there playing standards on YouTube just by myself changing keys and stuff. So That's awesome. We'll link to all of those um websites and store and everything youtube uh in the show notes so thank you so much will and um have a great day <laughs> thanks will for joining us my pleasure guys thank you Hopefully thank you. Talk to you soon. thanks to you in person even sooner Thanks, everyone, for listening to our episode with Will Selenrod. You can find his newest releases at willselenrod.com slash releases. For more information about Will, please check the show notes. 
Please also make sure to visit GoddardAlumni.com and sign up for the various opportunities there. Current alumni projects are Choir, the official scholarly journal of the Goddard Graduate Institute, which is currently accepting submissions from current students and alumni. And on GoddardAlumni.com, there is opportunities to volunteer as an alumni ambassador, uh, which is to uh, talk to prospective students about your experience and sort of welcoming them into the Goddard family. And currently, we are looking for keynote speakers for Alumni Weekend. The deadline is March 31st. Thanks for listening to Goddard in the World podcast. This podcast is a project of Goddard Alumni Council. It is produced and hosted by Casey Corona and Amanda Faye Laxon. It is edited by Amanda Faye Laxon. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or would like more information, please visit goddardalumni.com slash podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. See you next time.